Would you turn, please, to Scripture this uh, evening to Matthew, the 15th chapter? We began four, three weeks ago, I guess four now, talking about a subject of truth or tradition. And in praying about the church and what kind of church it's supposed to be and what we're supposed to do, I felt like the Lord is giving us this as part of laying the foundation of the church. How many believe the church ought to be built not just on men's ideas, not just on the religious traditions of men that are not the word. We want to be built on the solid rock. Amen. Amen. We want to dig down through the muck and the junk and the mud and the sand and hit something solid. Amen. Amen. Hit what though heaven and earth will pass away, won't pass away. The word, the truth, and if the church is built on the truth, and if our lives are built on the truth, then when storms come and situations arise, though it might be rough, when the dust clears and the wind quits howling, we'll be standing there. Amen. Amen. Standing there with the answer because we're built on something solid. Matthew 15, let's begin reading in verse 1. Now, uh, we talked for the first time about your foundation, what I just got through saying. Truth or tradition, what's our life's foundation. And we talked about the phrase, and this is something we've been saying frequently, no matter what comes up, we want to know where's the Scripture. Remember like the little lady on the Wendy's commercial used to holler, where's the beef? Well, if somebody's got an idea or a concept or a conviction or a philosophy, no matter how long it's been around, we want to know what? Where's the Scripture? Say it out loud a couple of times. Where's the Scripture? One more time. Where's the Scripture? Now, don't just ask other people that. Ask yourself that. When you think of something that you've believed all your life, ask yourself, real point blank, where's that at in the Bible? Where's the verse? And don't just say, well, I'm sure it's in there. No, find it. Put your hand on it. Where's it at? Because I know in my own life doing this, there's been a number of times I couldn't find it because it wasn't there. (laughs) Well, why should I base my life on it? Right? No matter who believed it for how long. Secondly, we talked about emphasizing the outside of a man or the inside of a man. Because you'll find that's where traditions focus. They focus on the outer man, the outside, doing the things externally, and God's interested in the heart. And you can't tell everything about a person just by looking on the outside. That's why I've said it. I'm going to keep saying it. You're going to keep hearing me say it. I don't care if you got five nose rings and 12 tattoos and orange and green hair. Do you love God? Are you serious about serving Him? Amen? It's the heart. It's the inside. That's what I'm interested in. That's what God's interested in. And uh, thirdly, last time we talked about identifying tradition, and one of the key ways that you do that is by watching what you're saying. You can find out all kind of things about yourself by hearing how you talk. And we'd like to think, well, hey, I'm full of the Word, and I'm just a person of faith and power, and I walk close to God, and I don't have any old junky tradition about me. Well, that's pretty much wishful thinking. Because none of us have arrived. We just know in part. And listen carefully now. If you're not catching yourself in something wrong that you're saying regularly, then you're not trying. And you're not growing. You go months and you don't catch yourself in anything you need to correct about what you're saying. You are not examining your words, you're not watching your mouth, and you're not growing. You're not developing. Sometimes people think of it as a negative when you really start getting a lot of truth and a lot of light and revelation. I mean, you know, every other thing you say, you go, no, no, not that. This is what I believe. And it frustrates you and you think, well, <laughs> seems like half of what I said today was wrong. Hey, that's a good sign. You're noticing stuff. You're seeing stuff. You're, you're catching it. It's the people that go for months and think they're just great. 
<laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> and that's another message. But Matthew 15, let me start reading. Here, let me pray before we read this. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for getting everybody here tonight and all the good things you've done for them all week. And we just have already prayed and we ask you together for utterance and for ears for everybody to hear and let there come far beyond what I would say as a human. Speak through me, Lord, and let your words deposit in people's hearts and bring answers and direction. And thank you, Lord, for accomplishing your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 15. Verse 1, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which are of Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. See, don't just read past these things. Put yourself in the situation. These guys are calling Jesus on the carpet. They're taking him to task. Jesus, the head of the church, they're going, hey, hey, why don't you do like we do? Why don't your disciples wash like we wash and do what we do? What's the implication there? Because, of course, we're right. So if you don't do what we do, you must be wrong. Have you ever run across folk that thought if you weren't part of their group, if you didn't do it like they did it, you were what? Wrong. Some of them go so far as to say you're not saved. Right? right? <laughs> Wonder what they'd say about Jesus. <laughs> hmm? But see, people in their minds will think, oh, I'd never say that to Jesus. But if you're calling some of his people to task about some of these silly things or some of his ministers, he said, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. He takes it personally. Keep reading, he said. Verse 3, he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? They want to know why he didn't keep the traditions. He said, Why do you not keep the word? Because you're so busy keeping your tradition. You know, that is one of the devil's favorite and sad to say so successful tactics. He tries to get you in one extreme or the other. His perfect will for your life is that you don't believe on Jesus. I'm talking about the devil. You don't follow God and you die and go to hell with him. That's his perfect will for your life. How many of you know you're saved? You've already missed his perfect will for your life. Amen. Glory is right. Well, then, if he can't have that, his acceptable will, talking about the devil's acceptable will for your life, is that you go to heaven then, if you're going, but go today, now. <laughs> if he can get you off the planet so that you can't tell anybody about Jesus, you can't be a witness, hmm? That's his next thing he goes for. But, if you're going to walk with God... The Lord will keep you if you're doing his will and obeying him. And I don't care what the devil's plan, what kind of car wreck or disease or crazy stuff he might try to do. The devil's not bigger than God. And how many believe God is greater and has more power to protect you and keep you than the devil does to destroy you? I know when I first got into ministry, I hadn't been in the ministry two years. These thoughts started coming to my mind. I realized they were the devil. These thoughts started, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. You're not going to make it very long. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And the devil's a persistent cuss. I mean, if you listen to it, he'll bring those thoughts to your mind night and day. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. He's our helper. And from inside me, this came up to my mind. Why don't you ask him why he hasn't already done it? <laughs> I hadn't thought that before. I thought, then I got kind of sassy. I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bad boy. Why hadn't you already taken me out? You're going to kill me. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. 
And you see people, you know, these thoughts come to their mind and they'll come to you crying going, the devil said he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. If you're scared, you know what that means? It means you got more faith in the devil to hurt you than you do in God to keep you. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, why hadn't you already killed me? Why didn't you kill me in my mother's womb? Why didn't you kill me when I was two? Why didn't you kill me when I was ten? Or fifteen or twenty? Why wait till now? I guess maybe just because you liked me some way or another. And wanted to let me, I don't think so. You know why he hasn't already killed you? He's tried. Are you kidding me? You know how many close calls you've had. He's tried to kill you thousands and ten thousands of times. You know why you're not dead? Because he can't. He can't. He's tried. He's done his best. But God has kept you and protected you by his angels and by his spirit. And you're still kicking here today. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Lord. Somebody ought to say, amen, I believe it. Amen. Keep reading. He said, why did you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It's a gift by whatever you might be profited by me, and honors not his father or his mother, he shall be free. And thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now see, he said, The word says this, but you say this. And so this tradition that you have come up with has made the word of no effect in your life. As powerful and as mighty as the word of God is. And as powerful as it is to change you inside and out. And to straighten your life up and give you victory and prosper you and bless you and heal you. As powerful as it is. It cannot affect the work if you choose something else instead. Of the word. How many believe it's God's will for all to be saved? That's the word, isn't it? He's not willing that any should perish. Right? But do you know there are some people that don't believe that? There are some people say, yeah, but now I just believe that if you're destined to be saved, you will be. And if you're not, you won't. And it's just up to God. So they're not going to believe. They're not going to give their heart to him. They're not going to try to serve him. Well, see, that is a tradition that men came up with. But if they hold on to that, can the word save them anyway? Not unless and until they turn loose of this lie. Well, that's clear to some people. But how many also believe it's God's will to heal us? Is it? How many of us? All. The people say, yeah, but you know, sometimes it's just not God's will. Where's the scripture? Where's the verse? Hmm? Where's it at? Yeah, there are no scriptures. You don't see Jesus ever pray for anybody, Lord, heal them if it's your will. And if it's not, don't. You don't see any of the apostles. You don't see the apostle Paul or any of them in the book of Acts praying for anybody. Lord, if it's you will, heal them. If not, let them die. Well, then why should we pray that way? Should we? Somebody said, well, yeah, but now, Brother Keith, Jesus in the garden, he prayed, Lord, if it be thy will, your will be done. Jesus is not having a healing meeting in the garden. He's not praying for the sick in the garden. Right? And just analyze your prayer. And I'm not knocking anybody. I prayed this way myself years ago. Okay? I've done it. I've gone with other ministers into the hospital room. I've done it. And by the bedside and take the person's hand and say, Now, Lord, you know, have mercy on our dear suffering brother. And if it be your will, have mercy and healing. And if not, then give us courage and strength and your will be done. Because that's all I knew. But you know where I got that? 
from men. Not the Word, not the Bible. I got that from men. I heard other preachers pray that way. That's the way my church taught. But let's analyze what we're saying. We're saying, Lord, you are God, you are sovereign, and you're going to do whatever you want to do. And uh, no matter what anybody does, you're going to do whatever you want to do. So if you want to heal this brother, then heal him. And, of course, if you wanted to heal him, you would have healed him anyway. But if not, then don't heal him. But, of course, if you didn't want to, you wouldn't have (laughs) anyway. Because you are going to do what you're going to do. Anyway, so why am I praying? Right? Where does the prayer of faith ever come in? It's men's tradition. It's men's idea. I tell you what happened somewhere years ago. Somebody prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. And they said, well, it must not have been his will. Well, if somebody died lost. Can you stand up and say, it must not have been his will for them to be saved? No. It's God's will for you to be saved. It's God's will for you to be healed. It's God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit. It's God's will for you to prosper and have all your bills paid and be in good shape. It's God's will for you to be free. Amen. And have joy. Have victory in life. I mean, nothing's a worse representation of a Christian than a depressed, defeated Christian. It's a contradiction of terminology. People ought to see us and want what we have. Amen. They ought to want. How do you keep that joy? How do you have that victory? How do things go good in your life like that? You say, I got a good shepherd. And we're still taking applications for the flock. Let's keep reading here. Man, if I don't quit taking so many side journeys, how are we going to get to the rest of this? He said, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. You hypocrites. Everybody say hypocrites. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But what? Their heart. So not everybody that talks a good game is the real deal. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Of men. Now the thing, actually the Lord started dealing with me about this uh, two days ago. And he asked me some questions in my heart. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but you know, I pray and ask him, Lord, give me what we're supposed to have for the Friday night service. I, even though I've preached many times over the years, every time the service comes around, you got nothing. Until he gives it to you. Oh, I could pull something out that I've done before. But if it wasn't what he put his hand on, it'd be empty and dry. I'd bore myself, much less you. Right? But how many know if it's what he put his hand on? Even if you've heard it 50 times before, if he's dealing with it, it's a quickening in it. It's life in it. It's good. And this is the thing that he dealt with me about. He asked me some questions. I'm going to ask you. And then we're going to answer him. Truth or Tradition. He asked me this question because actually, uh, let me back up and tell you how this worked. How the Lord began to deal with me about this. This man and I were sitting down talking about some things. Not church things, not ministry things at all. It was another area, business, natural things. I didn't know him. He and I were just getting acquainted. But we had business over the course of three days. And so as I met him the next time, he knew I was in the ministry, and he was a Christian, and he began to talk about some things, and he began to tell me that he wasn't going to church anywhere, and that hadn't been for a long time. And you know, usually when you get to that place, people are waiting for you to jump on them then, especially if you're a preacher, right? Well, why aren't you in church? Don't you know you're supposed to be serving the Lord? But I didn't do that. That wouldn't have been right. He went on to explain. And I've heard this once. I don't know how many times I've heard this. He said he got tired of all the hypocrites at the church. Have any of you heard that? Huh? Why they aren't going to church. And uh, hypocrites. Well... I encouraged him to not give up 
to keep looking until he found a place where he felt like he fit. And it turned out to be a real positive thing. I didn't correct him about anything. It wasn't a place nor the time. But he was encouraged before we got through talking. He said, yeah, that's right. I need to get back to looking. I said, just visit places and see where the Lord's leading you. And you'll get a witness. Take your folks and your family and your kids. And when you get in there, you guys will know. Pray before you go. See where you feel like you should visit. And you'll know. You'll have a witness inside you. This is the right place. But the Lord kept bringing that up to me about the hypocrite thing. And, uh, you know, we just read that in this text here. Hypocrites. And, you know, really that's an excuse. You know, people, because of the hypocrites. It's not just because of the hypocrites. That's just a good excuse not to go. But it is an issue. And the Lord asked me this question. He said, are Christians bothered by the same things I'm bothered by? Are they upset about the same things that upset me? Do they respond to things the way I did and do? How many know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? If he did this way in his ministry on the earth and it's in the Bible, that's the way he is right now. And I begin to remember what we've been talking about in these sessions and see how the Lord's leading us up to this about how that there's so much emphasis on the outside. And there's so much railing against sin. You know, and of course sinners. Is that what Jesus did in his ministry? Was the main thing that he got upset with, was it sinners? Hmm? Is there a lot of the church though? That is their main thing. Hmm? Preaching against sin. Let me back up. Is that what Jesus did? Was that Jesus' main thing? Preaching against sin. Mm -mm. What was some of the main things that upset him? (laughs) What was? Huh? Yeah. I hear it all, some of the Pharisees, Sadducees. Yeah, but what was it about them that bothered him so much? Hypocrisy. Go to Matthew 23, please. And see probably one of the strongest rebukes that you can find in the Scripture that Jesus ever gave anybody. Matthew 23. He used the word woe unto you repeatedly. And how many when the Lord looks you now and goes, woe unto you? That's not a good thing. That's not. What really bugged him? What really grated him? What really irritated him? What got to him? Made him angry. Aggravated. Caused him to speak strong and stern rebukes. Should we be on the same page with him? Should we be in agreement with him? Feel the same way? Somebody says, well, it's sin. He hates sin. Really? Then how did he deal with blatant sin? Hmm? Now, you remember John 8, the woman taken in the act of adultery. I mean, they caught her in bed with this guy. Now, you can't commit adultery by yourself. I've always wondered, where's the guy at? He conveniently got away. And they dragged this poor woman into the service. It'd be like somebody dragging somebody down the aisle here. And they drug her out of bed, so I don't even know if she's properly clothed. They drag her out here. I mean, how humiliated can you get someone? And they threw her down in front of Jesus. And they said, the law says such should be stoned. But what do you say? Religious people are some of the meanest people on the face of the earth. (laughs) They'll break your arm. They'll punch you in the face. They'll steal your money. They'll stab you in the back and knock you down and give you three scriptures why it's okay. (laughs) 
They are absolutely the meanest people on the planet. I mean, this is the perfect example. Blatant sin. Blatant. Eyewitnesses saw her in the bed committing adultery with this man. Drug her out. Threw her in front of Jesus. Interrupted the service. You know the story. He said, he that's without sin among you. Let him cast the first stone. Now, man, there's realms of revelation in all of this. How do people get so judgmental? Why? Because they ain't judging their self. They're so busy looking through the magnifying glass at everybody else's life that they have not been looking in the mirror. And you remember what Jesus said? How are you going to tell somebody they got a speck in their eye and you got a two by four in yours and can't even see it? Friend, here's something that will really help you. It helps me all the time. Anytime I see something about somebody and I think, you know, man, I don't like that. Or the, what's the first thing you ought to do? Look right here. Have I done that? Am I doing that? Well, I'd never do that. You're on the wrong track. Because maybe you didn't do that, but in the eyes of the Lord, it was something just as bad. And there's not a one of us in here that's never missed it. Not a one. Every one of us have sinned. Is that true or no? Then whatever they did, it was sin. You sinned, they sinned. What's the big difference here? See, people like to categorize, well, I didn't do something that bad. Friend, your sin was part of the sin that put Jesus on the cross. Just like the people on death row. Did you hear me? Don't do this categorization thing. And so, are people being upset about what Jesus was upset about? How did he deal with this blatant sin? You know, they all eventually got up and left, convicted and condemned. He looked at her. What did he say? He said, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, no man. So what did he do? Come on, tell me. anybody. What did he say? Neither do I condemn you. What? Go and sin no more. Now, listen to this carefully. Jesus did not condemn her sin, nor did he condone her sin. He didn't do either one. Did he? He forgave her sin. He didn't say, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you just had a little slip. No, it's a big deal. You blew it big time. You messed up. He didn't condone sin. He called it sin. He said, go and what? Sin. No more. But he didn't condemn her. So whatever kind of sin you're talking about, is it justifiable for Christians or for ministers to get on their high horse and condemn it? I don't care what kind of sin it is. But read in 23 of Matthew, you'll see what did irritate Jesus. What did truly aggravate him. Chapter 23, are you there? Read on with your neighbor if you didn't bring a Bible. Let these things get down into you. Say it out loud, I want to be like Jesus. I want to think like him. See things like him. Respond like him. Treat people just like him. I mean, that's, we're Chris Johns. What does that mean? Being like him. If we're not, then who are we like? Some men's idea of what a Christian's supposed to be. We want to strip. Are you like me? You want to strip all that junk away? Let's get down to the real deal. You know, my wife is all time saying this. She doesn't believe when we get to heaven that anybody's going to have a tag on it that says, I'm Baptist. I get in. I'm assembly of God. I get in. I'm holiness Pentecostal. I get in. I'm Catholic. I get in. There ain't going to be no tags in heaven. Right? What gets you in? Faith in Jesus. 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 And if you follow him, you're going to be like him. But you've got to see him as he really is before you're going to begin to be conformed into his likeness and image. 
Did Jesus jump on sinners and say, you sorry rascal, you're going to hell? Sinner? Can't believe you did that. You're disgusting. Do you ever see him do any of that? Hmm? You see prostitutes come off the street and cry and rub oil on his feet. And what did he say? This holier-than-thou Pharisee on the corner said, He ain't even a prophet. If he is a prophet, he'd know who's rubbing his feet. That woman's been working these streets for ten years. Hmm? What did Jesus do? She cried. What did Jesus say? Daughter, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisee got huffy. So then he told him a little story. About somebody that was forgiven a little small debt and somebody was forgiven a huge debt. And so he said, I got a question for you. Who would love that man the most? He said, well, I guess uh, the one that had the larger debt. He said, yeah, and her sins that are many are forgiven and she loves much. And yours you think are a little and you just love little. You know, it's not what you've done. It's not all the mistakes that you've made. It's where is your heart today? Have you repented? Do you really love God? Are you wanting to serve Him with all your being? Read this if you would. Jesus said to the multitude and His disciples in chapter 23 verse 1, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, and all therefore whatever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. You know, there's some people you can follow their teaching, but you can't follow them. Yeah, you can't follow their life. Verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do, for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, and they enlarge the borders of their garments. And they love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brothers. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master Even Christ. I've had a few folk around here say, what should I call you, Brother Keith? What should I call you? Do I call you Pastor Keith? Do I call you what, Reverend Keith? What do I call you? Uh, Just call me Keith. If you want to show extra respect, call me Brother Keith or Brother Moore. But that's all I really care for. You know, as I was reading this today and thinking about it, you know, I thought, you know, I don't think folk have really taken Jesus seriously about this because titles abound. Apostle this, prophet this, evangelist this, the right and holy reverend teacher this. And this question came up in my heart. Did Paul ever refer to himself as the Apostle Paul? And I searched it and couldn't find it. And did any of the other apostles or disciples refer to him like that? I found one place in Peter where Peter referred to him, and this is how he referred to him, our beloved brother Paul. That is a high term of honor. It's been reduced in modern society. But why is he getting into all this? Because everybody's got flesh. And remember in Matthew 6, he warns about praying so people can hear you pray. Remember that? Giving so people would see what you gave. Fasting in such a way people know that you're fasting. He talks about doing things to be seen of men. And how that that's whatever reward you get out of it, whatever enjoyment you get out of it, that's all you're going to get. That's it. Let's keep reading. He said, whosoever shall exalt himself, what will happen? He'll be abased. 
But he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And don't just read the scripture now. Put yourself in the place. I can hear Jesus get more emphatic. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Was this a deal to Jesus? Should it be a deal to us? Hmm? Should we just get so disgusted because we heard, you know, that somebody got saved, you know, two weeks ago, that they were out to the bar and got drunk last week? Should that be the main thing that everybody talks about? But how often it is. Right? Or did you see that dress that Sister So-and-so had on? Dear me, didn't she know that was too tight? (laughs) Should you be more of your thought time and your talk involved in sister's dress than her heart? What should you be more interested in? Her condition of her heart. For you know, she may have put on some weight and that's all she had. Huh? I mean, there's all kind of reasons. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. But hypocrisy is something that God despises. He goes on, he says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men and you don't go in yourself, neither suffer you them that are going in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Everybody say hypocrites. Hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer so you shall receive the greater damnation or condemnation. He said, oh, man, you get up in the synagogue and you're called the right reverend, holy brother and father so-and-so. And you make this long prayer and you quote all these scriptures. And in the middle of the week, you're in a business deal and you steal a widow's house from her. What is that? Hypocrisy. He goes on to say, verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You comp a sea and land to make one proselyte or convert. And when you do make him, you make him twofold or twice the child of hell that you are. Man, that's strong. Isn't it? Who? What did Jesus get stirred up about? What is the thing that really got to him? That he really spoke the strongest against? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. While some folk are preaching against women's dress, preaching against smoking, and preaching against drinking, and preaching against dancing, and preaching against doing this and doing that. Is that what Jesus did? Hmm? Hold your place here. Uh, chapter 9, just back up a few pages. Chapter 9, same book of Matthew. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? I want this to be a Jesus church. Amen. Amen. I mean, I don't claim to be totally like him. I don't claim to see everything just like him. I believe I'm growing every day. But I would like to. This is my goal. I would like for this church to be just like it would be if he was in charge of it. That's my desire. That's my goal. Amen. Amen. Isn't it you? I mean, if we shoot for anything lower... What are we shooting for? Who's our example? Who are we following? I bet people say to me, well, you're just trying to be just like Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was the idea. Right? (laughs) That is the plan, right? (laughs) Actually, people say that. Matthew 9, verse 9. Jesus passed forth and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. This is a tax collector. We're right past the tax collection day. And I mean, if you think the IRS is disliked today, these guys were way hated worse than our current IRS or tax collectors. Because it was just understood you get our part and then anything else you can get for yourself. So if your taxes were a thousand dollars, they'd tack another five hundred or seven fifty or another thousand on it and pocket the difference. That was just a common thing. Well, you can understand they were hated. They were despised. 
And Jesus walks by and here this tax collector who has swindled who knows how many people for how long. And Jesus looks at him and he said, get up and follow me. See, you know, most folk building their evangelistic team, they wouldn't have went and picked him. And most folk building their kingdom wouldn't have picked you. Or me. But he knows our hearts. He knows what other people don't know. Even when you were sitting in that lifestyle of sin, he knew that you didn't want it inside. You didn't know what to do. And if you just had a little light, you'd want to serve him. He knew that. So he led you and he was merciful to you and washed you and he's led you. He knows the end from the beginning. He not only knows what you are, but what you can be and what you will be. He knows what nobody else, including you, knows. He's smart. And he's good. So Matthew just gets up. You can see why he told him that. Because a lot of people wouldn't have got up and left everything and followed him. And Matthew jumps up and walks away. Tags right along behind him. And so then Jesus went to his house. And all of Matthew's buddies. Who were also low down, lying, cheating scum. (laughs) Came and filled out many publicans and what? Are y'all reading Matthew 9, 10? Publicans and what? Sinners. What do sinners do? Sin. Huh? Sin. Just all little bitty light sins? No, sins of all kinds. Hmm? There was an acquaintance of mine one time was preaching in his church, which was on the other side of the world, and he just did it on purpose. He put plants in his church. He put some big old burly guys in there wearing leathers and it didn't smell too good. He put some gals in there with uh, orange hair and just wild dress and some other people that looked like they were winos off the street. And he just placed some people here and there. Then he preached his message. And he got to the place. He said, you know what we need in this church? We need more cussing in the parking lot. (laughs) And he said, we need more smoking in the bathroom. We need more smelly people and we need more short skirts and orange hair and tattoos. They looked at him like he had slapped them. They said, what are you talking about? What do we need to come in? Do we want the lost to get saved? We need sinners to come in here. And we got to go out to them because a lot of them ain't going to come. But some of them will come. And what are sinners going to do? They're going to cuss in your parking lot. They might even smoke some dope in your bathroom. Sinners, what do sinners do? <laughs> huh? Let me give you an example a little closer to home. Somebody said, well, I don't know if I like this message. Well, come back next week and you might like that one because they're changed every week. I was in a restaurant one time. Well, let me read your scripture before I tell you the story. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. In Isaiah 65, 5, the Lord says, Those who say, stand by yourself and don't come near me because I'm holier than you. In other words, you stay over there. Don't you come over here and rub up against me and contaminate me. And defile me because I am holier than you. He said, these are a smoke in my nose. That's God talking. You ever had smoke go up your nose? What does it make you do? Oh, talk about an irritation. What irritates God? Hmm? What irritates God? Does God most of the day, does he go, I can't stand that sin. I can't stand that sin. Is that his main thing? Does God like sin? No. But he, he sees people's hearts. And a lot of people are sinning ignorantly. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know why there is an earth. They're totally in the dark. God knows that. But when you have light. And you know better. And you're hypocritical. The word hypocrite means pretender. It means actor. Just like an actor on a stage. You're pretending. You're play acting. He said, these are a smoke in my nose. 
I was out at this restaurant. And these ministers came in. And somebody beside them was cussing. Now, I don't care for cussing. I was in a situation this past week where somebody was doing a lot of cussing. And I, ah, it bothered me. And I said, what would you do? I didn't say much of anything about it. I wasn't in charge there. It wasn't my deal. And I thought about saying something, but I just knew in my heart that the only thing that person would get out of it is that I thought I was better than them. And you know, there's masses of people that are not in churches. They drive right by them on Sunday because they think, well, there's holy people in there. And that ain't me. I'm not fit to go to church. You know, they multiplied millions that feel that way. And that's what church is supposed to be for. Right? That's why Jesus came. Well, these ministers came in and they sat down and these guys were cussing and using some foul language over there. And you can tell they wasn't just trying to be irritating. That's just the way they talk. And this guy got so mad. I kept saw him squirming around and putting his hand down. And finally, he just marched over there. He said, I demand you stop. Presence of my wife and my kids and you're using this kind of... And I mean, he just told them he was a preacher. And I mean, he let them have it. And I said, what about that? Is anything wrong with that? Yeah. Because I don't know for sure. But I think probably that that same preacher would go home after the meal and sit down in front of the TV and flip it on and listen to cussing for two hours. Hmm? And people just make an awful ordeal about somebody that had a short skirt on out at the store. <sighs> and go plop down and sit down and watch the TV with people with far less on. And turn and go, Mildred, can you see that? I can't believe they're letting this show on TV. <laughs> You believe they do all that on TV? Let that just show on TV today. And just watch it and listen to it for another three hours. Now, what's the word for that? Come on, help me out. What's the word? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Hypocrisy. And though it is just an excuse that some people use for not going to church, yet it is also a major problem. It was a major problem in Jesus' day. It's a major problem today. People acting like that they got it so together and that they're so holy and that they're so righteous and that somebody else see them on the job and see them do all kind of goofy stuff and they think, well, man, they're not living no better than I am. Right? So why do I need all that church? Why do I need all that stuff? They just want your money anyway. And people have not seen the real Jesus. Have they? Go back to 23. I'll try to wind this thing up. 23. Jesus is still preaching here. He said, woe to you. Verse 15. We read that. Verse 16. Woe to you, you blind guides, which say whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. Money meant more to them than the church. You fools and blind. Is Jesus kind of animated about this? <laughs> is it pretty strong? Whether's greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies and makes holy the gold? And you say, whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing, it ain't nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that's on it, he's guilty. You fools and blind. For whether's greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Whoever therefore swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things thereon. Whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him that dwells therein. He that swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him that sits thereon. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and what? Hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise or dill and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other done, undone. Luke, the same account says, judgment and the love of God. 
He sums it up by just saying those two. What's important to the Lord? All these external things, all this fighting to maintain this show of holiness or righteousness or whatever this facade of Christianity that you think it is. No, it is righteousness or what's right or love of the truth and it's the love of God. It's the main things. Keep reading, please. You blind guides which strain at, or that means filter out a gnat, and then turn around and swallow a camel. <laughs> now that sounds funny to us, but is this accurate? People do. Over in this area, oh, they're so meticulous. We've got to be so holy. We've got to be, oh, there's a little gnat. I can't stand gnats. I got to change the filter on this thing because I think I might have a gnat wing or a gnat eyelash or something. I got to get this out and just make just a huge deal out of this gnat. And you see them Tuesday and there's a camel there and they just swallow him and not even say anything about it. Is that still going on? Huh? It is. And you just, anytime you see somebody harping about something, griping about something, belly aching about something, about how it ain't right, and, and that's not, and I'd never do anything like that, and just make a big deal. You can just mark it down. They'll turn around next day and swallow a camel. They are a hypocrite. They are not doing what they say others should be doing. The scripture said in Romans 2, if you judge, you're guilty of the same thing. James 4, he says, if you are a judge, you are not a doer. If you have overcome in that area, you know how many mistakes you made. You know how many times you almost messed up. But by the grace of God, you didn't. You know how, except by his help, you couldn't have overcome in that area. You know, If you've really been through it. And you really have overcome, you know. So you're not quick to throw rocks at anybody else because you know except by the grace of God, you wouldn't have made it yourself. But the people who are hollering and throwing rocks, they've never even overcome their self. They're hypocrites. They're pretending. And that is the big deal to the Lord. Keep reading. I'm trying to finish. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What? Hypocrites, you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. You blind Pharisee, clean first what's within the cup and the platter, and that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you. He just didn't get through. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you're like whited sepulchres, graves, which indeed appear out beautiful outward, but within they're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. For even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but within you are full of what? Full of hypocrisy and iniquity. This is the thing that aggravates the Lord. This is the thing that irritates Him. Go with me to John 3. John, the third chapter. Why don't you stand up with me while we read this? John, the third chapter. Does anybody know John 3.16? That's where I'm going. Do you understand there's other good scriptures right beside John 3.16? That's popular. We know it, but that's not all there was to it. John 3.16, I want you to read it out loud with me, please. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why was there a Christ so there could be a Christian, so there could be a church, so there could be Christianity and all the mission outreaches? What is it all about? So easy to lose focus and lose track. And you got people going traveling the world trying to make another Assembly of God, trying to make another Baptist, trying to make another charismatic, trying to make another faith person. Should that be our main objective? What should be our main objective? So the people see Jesus. Amen. And there's good people in all those groups, don't misunderstand me, that are doing that. But we don't want to get caught up 
in some rules or some tradition in any group. I mentioned groups that we've been in and come out. I got saved in the Baptist church. I spent years in the Pentecostal church. I've ministered in Methodist churches and you know all kind of churches. But you recognize God no matter where you are. And you recognize the dumb rules of men and hypocrisy and the superior thing. If you're not one of us, you're not in. That is, my friend, despised by God. It is a serious matter. Some folks harping on somebody about some habit that they've got or something, and it ain't nothing in the sight of God beside this hypocrisy of heart. People that know better, know they're not living right themselves, and coming down like a ton of bricks on somebody else that don't even know better. This is serious in the eyes of God. One of the strongest things he spoke against. Why did Jesus come? Why are you and I Christians? Why are we supposed to be reaching out? Verse 16. For God. Read it with me. For God so loved the world. The whole world. I didn't finish reading in Matthew. We, For time's sake I just jumped over. But you know that when I, Matthew and all his friends came over. And he's sitting with all these sinners. Everybody say sinners. And man, the Pharisees said, they called his disciples and said, why does your master eat and fellowship with sinners? You know, they called Jesus a drunkard. Did you know that? You know, they called him a glutton. They called him the pal of sinners. Have you ever been called that? I said, have you ever been called that? The pal of sinners? The friend of sinners? Hmm? Jesus hobnobbed with people that wasn't living right. He sat up there and ate and drank with them. Well, they wouldn't have stayed past ten minutes if he was railing against them for all their sins. Now, would they? But they loved him. Didn't they? Could you sit down at a table full of sinners and them love you? And want to spend some more time with you? And want to find out more about you? Not if you're condemning them. Not if you're beating them over the head. Not if you're acting like you're too uncomfortable to be around them because I just don't like those people. I don't, I'm not comfortable around those kind of people. (laughs) Well, then you ain't like Jesus. Because Jesus just rolled right up in the middle of them. <laughs> They're having a big party. They're drinking. Half of them's getting blasted. Other parts cussing. They're doing all this stuff. And Jesus rolls right up in the middle of them. Sits down with them. Has a meal with them. And they like him. I said they like him. Amen. Jesus God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Keep reading. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Then what would we be doing condemning the world? Where would we have gotten that from? Not Jesus, man and the enemy who is the accuser and condemner of the brethren, not God. I said, not God. People are railing on people and telling them, you're a sinner, God's mad at you. They're liars. I said, they're liars and they're misrepresenting God. He did not come to condemn the world, but why did he come? Oh, can you read? Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Do you believe it? I want to pray a prayer over you. Don't pray it unless you mean business with God. But how many want the junk stripped off? You want the, the goofy thinking pulled away. And so that you really see Jesus like he is. And that he manifests through you and he talks through you and he touches through you. And so that people see you and you have the same kind of walk that he walked. Pray it out loud with me then. Father God, forgive me for any hypocrisy. Forgive me for preaching 
are believing tradition of men that's not of you. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be used of you to reach sinners, the unreached, the lost. Help me not to minister any condemnation, any death, but to minister truth, life, love, forgiveness, acceptance, the spirit of adoption. In Jesus' name. Put your hands up and thank Him for a little bit. Let's just thank Him. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.